mountains are still being moved. Hello, and welcome to Raising the Standard with Pastor Owen Moody of the Richmond House of Prayer in Richmond, Kentucky. You're invited to join us each Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for an anointed full-length message from Pastor Moody. After the message, we'll be back to let you know how you can contact us. On this podcast, Pastor Moody brings us a message entitled, Help for the Hurting. His scripture text to be taken from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, verses 1 through 5. Here now, Pastor Moody. I want to just, uh, uh, if I can, just kind of share my heart a little bit tonight. And I want to just deal with the subject of help for the hurting. Uh, I was just reading uh, some stories, some occurrences recently of, of some things some people have went through. Uh, some messages that I had gotten. And, of course, as I said, as pastor, you deal with hurt a lot of times. And I thought like this, there are people who are professionals at helping the hurting and dealing with grief and, and uh, sickness and all of these things. And today we were uh, just informed about a, a young man that we love dearly who's been through terrible, terrible things in his lifetime because of his health and was on vacation and ended up in the hospital. Uh, in Tennessee, and uh, so we know what it's like to, to to suffer, to be hurting, and as we've all gone through that ourselves. But I begin to think about how that Jesus, Amen, was able to identify with our suffering, and I thought about people who are historically noted for some of the things they went through, and so God began to touch my heart, and I'd like to just read a text if I could, starting in Isaiah fifty-three which is, tells us about the sufferings of Christ, a very familiar scripture. But in Isaiah 53 and 1, your Bible said, Who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm or the strength of the Lord revealed? The scripture said, For he shall grow up before him, Christ before the Father, as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. This is talking about when he was beaten and on the cross. And we shall see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. Verse number three. He is despised and rejected of men. And I want you to notice this phrase. This is just, these next two phrases have really just kind of gripped me this week. First of all, he's a man of sorrow. Christ knew what sorrow was. Secondly, he's acquainted with grief. He knew what it was to, to feel grief and suffer loss. And yet the Bible said, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Verse number four, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him uh, stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Then verse number five said, but he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we're healed. Hallelujah. Father, add your blessing to the reading of your word. I mentioned just a little bit Sunday to the church here about Horatio Spafford. Uh, Brother Spafford wrote the great song. It is 
well with my soul. One of the great old hymns of the church. I'd like to tell you just a little bit about that. I thought, you know, it's easy for us to praise God and serve the Lord when things are going well. But then there's times when sorrow comes and loss comes. As a pastor of 43 years, I've stood many a time with grieving families that have just lost a dad or a mother, a husband or a wife, and sadly, even many times with people who've just lost a child and thought about how horrific that is. And the, the story of Horatio Spafford, I think, gives us some insight into that. And I'd like to tell you just a little bit about him. Uh, he was born in 1828 during the time of slavery. He was born to a wealthy family in New York City. He received a good education, went through college, law school, became a lawyer. In 1856, he relocated to Chicago. And there he had a very successful business, became the senior partner of a very famous law firm. But Spafford was a Christian. He was an elder in his church. He loved the Lord. He longed to see lost people saved. He worked hard and spent much of his resources during that time to help abolish slavery. He established prison ministries. This wealthy man, this attorney, would visit inmates in prison. And he also used money to support several missionaries and evangelists. And one of them was a man that was his good friend, probably the most famous evangelist of that time was Dwight L. Moody or D.L. Moody. And uh, he was successful. And uh, in 1861, he married a, a, a Norwegian immigrant and they had four children. And uh, he was a man that owned uh, a lot of real estate and life was good for them. They lived in a, in a, in a very beautiful estate called Lakeview. They had people that worked for him, and, and uh, he was a, a very successful man, to say the least, a millionaire in his time when there weren't many millionaires. And then in October of, of, uh, of that year of 1871, the great Chicago fire hit and wiped out much of his holdings. And uh, then uh, uh, because of all that, the financial pressures he still continued to give and support ministry, still continued to work for God. And he became kind of ill because of all the stress. And his doctor recommended a change. So him and his wife and children had planned to go to England. <laughs> and uh, they didn't just go on a vacation. They were going by ship to help D.L. Moody with his crusades that were starting in England, which became very, very successful. But while the ship was going over, uh, just before it left, some business matters caused him to have to stay behind. His wife and four daughters went. And uh, on November the 22nd, uh, 1873, uh, the ship that they were on collided with another ship and sank. And out of the 313 passengers, 226 of them drowned. And for a week, Spafford knew that the ship had sank, but he didn't know anything about his family. Of course, there were no planes. There was no way to get there. And, and uh, uh, he, after a while, received a wire from his wife, from Anna, and it simply said, saved alone, what shall I do? It meant that their four children had perished uh, in that ship. And so he later, when he could, 
got on another ship, was going to England to join up with his wife and, and there to try to do see what he could do. And uh, the scriptures or, or the story said that when they were going across that the ship's captain that he was on stopped the ship late at night, came to his cabin and said, Mr. Spafford, we're at the place where the ship went down. He walked out on the deck of the ship, the story was, and he saw nothing but darkness. He saw nothing but the black waters. And he stood there in sorrow and they had prayer together, he and the ship's captain. And then he went back to his room and he picked up pen and paper and he wrote a poem which later became the song, It Is Well With My Soul. And here's what the poem said. He said, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, God, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. He went on and said, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance uh, control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. And then the course was written, it is well, it is well with my soul. I begin to think about the scripture that I've read in your hearing tonight, and it talks about the sufferings of Christ. I want to tell you that he was a man of grief, acquainted with sorrow. He knows what it's like to feel every bit of brokenness that we know. The scripture said that he even understands sin, even though he never sinned. It said, he that who knew no sin became sin for us on the cross. Isaiah 50 and 4 said, Lord, you've given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. Now, this is a messianic prophecy. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. Christ saying, the Father has allowed me to learn what it's like to be human and to go through sorrow. He went on and said, the Lord has opened mine ear and I was not rebellious, neither turned away. And then he said, I gave my back to the smiters, my cheeks to them that plucked off the beard or the hair. And then he said, I hid not my face from shame and from spitting. Do you understand that Jesus, who was the word of God in the beginning, who's the second person of the Trinity, he is God. And yet he came here and he walked as a man yet without sin. And he suffered everything we suffer so he could be empathetic with us. It's one thing to sympathize with somebody, but to empathize with them means to enter into their suffering. And that's exactly what Jesus did. The Bible said in Mark chapter 15 and verse 33, when it was the sixth, when the sixth hour had come, amen, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. In other words, three hours in the, from noonday till three o'clock in the afternoon. And then he said, at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice and said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can I tell you, Jesus knew what it was like to be left alone. Some of them that stood by uh, and heard this, so when they heard it said, he's crying for Elias or Elijah. One of them then ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar, put it on a reed and gave him to drink saying, let alone, let's see whether Elijah will come and take him down. And then it said that Jesus cried with a loud voice, gave up the ghost, which means he died. I want to tell you, he's a man of grief. He's a man of sorrow. 
He knows what pain is. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9, Paul the apostle said it like this. He said, we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God, watch this, should taste death for every man. And uh, verse 10 said, for it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation, watch this, complete or perfect through sufferings. I want to tell you, Jesus knows about suffering. He knows what it's like to go through things that we go through. I've had people tell me nobody understands what I'm going through. And I've always said as a minister, I learned this a long time ago, one of the worst things you can do is walk into a room of people that have just lost their loved one or are suffering some horrible disease and look at them and say, well, I know what you're going through. That sort of belittles their, you do not know what they're going through because you might've went through the same thing, but you don't know who they are and what their personality is and how they're suffering. Yet the Bible said Jesus suffered as every man did. The scripture even said he was tempted in all points like all men have been tempted, yet without sin. So I've come to tell you that, amen, that there is help for those who are suffering. There's help for those who are hurting. There's help for those who are going through trouble. The scripture I read in your your hearing, verse three said that he was a, a man of sorrow. Jesus knew what sorrow was. And he was able to, you know, so many times heal people. So many times he cleansed lepers. He cast out devils. He raised the dead. I, I, I can see almost in my mind reading about this, the story of the widow of Nain in the town called Nain. She's a widow. Her husband's gone. She's got one child. He's about 18 years old. And for some reason, he died unexpectedly. And they're carrying him down the street, taking him to the cemetery to bury him. And Jesus comes walking up the street and he sees this grieving widow. And the Bible said he stopped the funeral procession, walked over and touched the buyer or the casket that they had him in and raised that young man from the dead and gave him back to his family. He's a man of sorrows. He knows what it means to be going through things. The scripture said in Mark chapter seven, verse 32, they brought to him a man that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech and and they, they beseech him to put his hand on him. And Jesus took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears and, and the Bible said he spit on his hand and touched his tongue and looked up to heaven and sighed. Notice this, he sighed. That that word sighed, if you're not careful, you'll miss that. It's a word literally that means grieved. He looked at this young man's condition and was grieved for him. And he sighed and said, Epitha, which means be open. And straightway his ears were opened. And the little fellow must have been tongue-tied because it said the string of his tongue was loosed. And he spoke plainly. In Luke chapter 19, verse 41, the scripture said, Jesus looked over Jerusalem. And when he looked over the city, the scripture said that he wept over it and said, if you had known, uh, said, if thou hadst known, even thou, at least in thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but are now hid from your eyes. And he wept over that city. 
He cried for Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the city of God, the city of David, the city of heritage, the city of Solomon's temple, and of, later of Herod's, of Herod's temple that was there in the time of Christ. And Jesus looked over that city and thought, if you only knew the heritage and, and what God wanted to do in the midst of you. I know sometimes I drive through Richmond, Kentucky, and I'm not trying to compare myself with Jesus by any means. But I drive through Richmond, Kentucky, and I know some of the areas in this town where the drugs are rampant, where prostitution is rampant. I, I see the liquor stores and the beer joints and, and almost every restaurant now selling alcohol. I see all of these things that, that uh, you know, lives have just been destroyed because uh, I've walked into too many emergency rooms where a young person was laying deceased from an overdose of drugs. I've, I've dealt with too many families where lives have been destroyed by alcohol. And I've looked at Richmond, I thought if you only knew the heritage of this city. I, I know the stories of revivals that broke out in Richmond, not far from here. There's a great church that, a, that an old gentleman used to walk through the fields and call the farmers in. And they'd have meetings and have revivals. And, and my father-in-law lived back in that time and he said, I remember one time I was in a field plowing with a mule and, and he said, I saw that preacher coming across those furrows of plowed ground with suit pants on and a white shirt and his britches leg rolled up in dress shoes coming to invite me to the house of God. Think about that. And he said, they'd stand down there and sing There's those old songs. There's power in the blood and all those songs and you could hear it across the community and people would be shouting, amen. And I, and I know the others in town that, that great revivals broke out and, uh, and I look at Richmond and I think here we are today and, and many have no thought about what God has done for them. So Jesus wept over that city. I, I like to challenge the preachers of our community, the pastors of our community. I like to challenge you to weep over our city. I'd like for you to look at Richmond and say, and be grieved for the spiritual condition that our city's in. We need revival. Jesus was acquainted with sorrow. The scripture said that when Lazarus, his friend, had died, and Jesus went to the tomb in John chapter 11, uh, the scripture said in verse number 32, then when Mary was come to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, said unto him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Do you hear the despair in that? And when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews weeping which were with her, he groaned in the spirit. And the Bible said he was troubled. I, I want to tell you, he knew what sorrow was all about. And, and then he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And John eleven thirty five is the shortest verse in the Bible. Just two words, but it speaks volumes about who Jesus was. It just says, Jesus wept. And, uh, and can I tell you something? He knew in a few moments he was going to say, roll the stone away. In a few moments, he was going to say, Lazarus, come forth. But you know why he was weeping? Because he was standing in a graveyard where for years people had, had in despair, had 
buried family member after family member after family member where death had reigned from the fall of Adam up to this point now that Jesus was standing there and he looked at them after he wept and said I am amen the resurrection glory to God and I am life I want to tell somebody today that death is it's a grievous thing to all of us it's robbed us of so many that we thought we couldn't make it without but I've come to tell you that Jesus Christ, amen, has conquered death, amen, and come to give us health and give us healing and give us life. I want to tell you, it says, surely he's borne our griefs and surely he's carried our sorrows. He was despised and rejected and uh, he, he's, he's, he's borne our griefs, he's carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him smitten and stricken of God, but he was wounded for our transgressions. Bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was with him. Amen. When I, when I started looking at this in verse number 14, Matthew chapter 8. When Jesus was coming to Peter's house, the Bible said he saw his wife's mother, his mother-in-law, laying. Amen. And, and she was sick of a fever. And Jesus went over and touched her hand. Amen. And... Uh, uh, and the fever left her, and she rose and ministered to them. He saw her there. He saw the sorrow, the grief that she was, that they were suffering. He touched her hand, the fever left her. She rose and ministered. Now, when the evening was come, the Bible said they brought unto him many that were possessed of devils. And the Bible said he cast out spirits with his word, and he healed all that were sick. And, and what happened was, this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, himself took our infirmities. Himself bare our sicknesses. I want you to get this. They brought to him people that were uh, possessed with devils and people that were sick. And the scripture said, he cast the spirits out and he healed all that were sick. I want to tell you today there's still power in the name of Jesus. And when I talk about help for the hurting, you know, we, we do what we can. So many times as a pastor, I've stood in that hospital room and prayed the prayer of faith. So many times I've stood with families and, and tried to minister comfort, you know, after a loved one had, had, had passed away or, 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 or some horrific thing had happened to their family. And, and at times we feel so inadequate trying to minister comfort. But I, I read in 1 Corinthians 15, amen, that he is the God of all comfort. Amen. He's the God of all comfort. I, I want to tell somebody that. You need comfort today. Amen. And yes, it's good for the pastor to come or, or for the prayer team to come, but you need to lift your eyes just a little bit higher and realize that Jesus is the God of all comfort. He's able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all you can ask or think. So the scripture said he cast out spirits with his word and he healed not just some of them, but all of them, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and bare sicknesses. You know, sometimes hurting people feel like nobody cares. They feel like nobody understands. I know I had something happen this week that uh, really was kind of a, a grief to me. I found out Sunday that, 
that a dear brother's wife had passed away. And I didn't know it. I hadn't heard about it. She'd been passed away for a few months now. And he was back here at the church Sunday and visited, and I was talking to him for a moment, and he told me that she had passed away. And I thought so many times, you know, they've been married 53 years. And I thought about me and Sister Mitty, we've been married going on 49 years. And that's something that I don't even like to think about where I would be left standing if she were to be taken from me. And uh, I've tried to make provisions over the years so that something happens to me that she'll be all right. But I've thought, man, I don't like the idea of thinking that one day she might leave me here. We've always said we're going in the rapture together. I pray that we do. And, uh, but I, I thought about that, dear brother. Sometimes we think that there's no way out of where we are. Some of you might be there tonight. It might be an addiction or it might be a failed marriage or it might be a child that's just driving you crazy. I hate to say this, children might be parents that are driving you crazy. Because it happens today. People are caught up in so much stuff today. And we think nobody knows and nobody's done anything about it. But I'm going to tell you what Jesus did for us. The Bible said in John chapter 19 and verse number 16, it said, Then delivered he him therefore unto them, this talking about Pilate, to the Jews, to be crucified. To be crucified. To pay for our sins. And the scripture said, and they led him away. And I read to you there just a little while ago about how he took his last breath on the cross and went to be with God, with the Father. But here it says, he bearing his cross. And I want to just stop right there a moment and say the cross was an instrument of cruelty and penalty for crime and sin. But he knew no sin. So can I suggest to you that on the cross, he took our place. He said in John chapter 3 is Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. And that's a story from the book of Numbers where the people of Israel had sinned. And God sent snakes in to bite them because of their horrible adultery and sin. And when Moses cried out for mercy, God said, take a brass and make a brazen serpent. Put it on a pole and lift it up. And everybody that looks on that will be healed. And that's still the symbol of healing in the medical profession today is a serpent on a pole. And the reason why it was, when they looked up on that pole, it was their admission, I was guilty and God sent snakes to bite me, but now I'm looking to him for the remedy. So when we look at Jesus, the Bible said that the wages of sin is death. And when we look at the cross, bearing his cross, can I submit to you, he was really bearing our cross, what we deserved. And so when we look up on the cross, it's an admission of our own guilt. And he bore the cross and went to a place that's called uh, the place of the skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. And in the Greek, it means Golgoliath. It's the place where David buried the head of Goliath when he killed him and won victory. And cr listen, Calvary, the place of the cross, is, it's not a place of defeat. It's a place of victory. Because there they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side, and the scripture said, and Jesus in the midst. And one of those on one side said, if you're the Christ, save yourself and us too. But the other one said, he's done nothing wrong and we deserve what we get. And he looked at Jesus and said, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And I want to tell you today, those of you that are hurting, those of you that are suffering, those of you that are sinners, that are lost, those of you 
who don't know the Lord. And sin has wrecked your life. Sin has destroyed your life. I want to tell you that the cross is the very center piece of history. Do you know that history is divided by the cross? Amen. B.C. before Christ. A.D. after his death. That all of history is measured by the cross. And I want to tell somebody today. My life was divided by the cross. There was a time before I came to Jesus, I was a sinner. I lived in a horrible condition. I won't stand here and rehearse all of it because it's under the blood and God cast it in the sea of forgetfulness. But you can believe this. <clears throat> when I came to him, I needed a savior. And I came to the cross 43 years ago and I met Jesus Christ and he forgave my sin. And my life after the cross has been, a, I'm a new creature. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And I found that he alone is a savior. I found that he alone is the healer. I found that he alone has the power to bind up the broken heart. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's, he's anointed me to set at liberty them that are bruised, to open the prison to those that are bound, to recover sight to those who are spiritually blind. He, he has anointed me to give them beauty for ashes, joy for the spirit of heaviness. I want to tell you that Jesus alone can change your life and heal your hurt. And if you don't know him tonight, can I challenge you to surrender your heart to him? Can I challenge you to say, Lord, I've sinned. I know that. The Bible said if we believe with our heart and confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. For with the heart man believes to righteousness, and with the mouth confessions made to salvation. The scripture said if we confess our faults, our sins to him, and I want to tell you something, none of us are perfect. None of us are perfect. All have sinned. The scripture said in Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then Romans 6, 23, it said the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And then Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you can believe with your heart, confess with your mouth. Romans 10, 13 said, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's the God to help the hurting, the God to save the lost. Nobody else can do it. People have tried everything. They've tried booze. They've tried drugs. They've tried relationships. I mean, some people have got into the Scientology and this new age nonsense, praying to crystals and, and turned to Eastern religions and cults. And Listen, religions are all attempts of man trying to get up to God. But Christianity is God coming to us to be the help and the healing and the salvation that we need. So can I challenge you right now, if you don't know Christ, or if you're hurting and you need help, will you put your trust in Jesus? Will you pray to him right now and say, Lord, fill in the blank. I'm a sinner. I'm hurting. I'm lost. I'm sick. I'm grieving. Whatever the case might be, you can fill that in and say, I realize that you are the only one that can help me. You're the only one that can. There's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved except the name of Jesus. If you don't know him, I feel like God touched me this week. I've had a burden for this to tell somebody there's help for the hurting. There's help for the, there's salvation for the lost. 
There's redemption for the backslidden. There's restoration for the fallen. He said, those of you, if you see a brother taken in a fault, those of you that are spiritual, Paul said, restore that man or that woman in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you fall into the same condemnation. I didn't come to judge anybody. I come to tell you that Jesus is the answer. Today I was talking with a preacher friend, and we know another man that was a minister for many, many years, and he's fallen, and he's fallen hard. And he said, I've been trying to call him. He said, he won't answer. And he said, I'm not calling him to condemn him. I'm calling him to tell him I'm his friend. And I thought, that's what we need. We need somebody to just love us when we fall. I've, you know, I, I thank God I've been faithful to the Lord for all these years, but there's been times I've missed the mark. I've come up short. There's been times I've felt like, God, why do you even fool with me? And somebody come along and say, preacher, you've helped me or I'm here to pray for you. I'm here to help you. That's who Jesus is, folks. He's help for the hurting. And so right now, just pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life, into the midst of my trouble, into the midst of my pain, my suffering, my hurt, my grief, my sin. Jesus, I trust you. You're the Savior, the healer, the deliverer. So right now, Lord, forgive me. Heal me. Move for me. Pick me up. Help me live this life in a way that one day I'll stand before you and hear you say, well done. Tell him now, I accept you as my Savior. And by your grace, I am saved. By your grace, I'm restored. By your grace, I'm delivered and healed. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. If you prayed that prayer tonight, I want you to message me on Facebook. Or I want you to call me at 859-623-8922. I want you to come to church and seek me out and say, Pastor, I prayed and gave my heart to the Lord because we want to help you go on to the next step. We want to help you go on in the grace of God and grow in the Lord. And set our hearts on you. Lord, come and we hope you enjoyed today's message and we'll tune in again next time. Raising the Standard is the media ministry of the Richmond House of Prayer in Richmond, Kentucky. For more information on the various outreaches and ministries of the Richmond House of Prayer, please visit our website at www.rhop.life. Thanks for listening.